Hey everyone, on today's pod I had on Jackson Frank to talk about the Toronto Raptors upcoming matchup with the Philadelphia 76ers. Jackson is a writer for the Athletic Philadelphia as well as Liberty Ball and you know just one of the best people covering the 76ers right now. He came on to talk about the different intricacies of this matchup. The 76ers are a little different than most teams. Obviously with a 6-10 point guard you have a couple different kind of matchup quirks that you don't typically see. Jackson came on, broke that down, how the 76ers will attack the Raptors, where he looks for the Raptors to try to exploit the 76ers. It was a really great talk. Like I said, Jackson's one of the best people covering Philadelphia right now. So make sure you guys follow him on Twitter at JackFrank underscore JFF. And also make sure to read all his stuff, both on The Athletic as well as Liberty Bowlers. Jackson Frank, how's it going? I'm doing well. Doing well. How are you? I am well as well. Well, that was a poor sentence to start, but here we are. Um, we brought you on here to talk about the Raptors 76ers trade. The or not trade, sorry, series. Tough start. Um, talk about the Raptors 76ers series. Really, the first round of the Eastern Conference playoffs that matters. Um, I guess first question: Is there anything that kind of jumps off the page at you? Uh, you know, I think, I mean, the, the, the thing that really interests, interests me a little bit, uh, or a lot, I should say, is how some of the defensive matchups, you know, I think, I think we're going to see Butler on Kawhi. That one seems kind of set in stone. We could, we could see Simmons, but I feel comfortable saying Butler will guard Kawhi. But then who do you throw Lowry on? Uh, who do you throw, or excuse me, who do you, who do you throw to to guard Lowry? Who do you throw to guard Siakam? Um, you know, because you got Simmons there, but you got you got to use you can only use him on one guy for each possession. So uh, I think it sticks out to me. You know, is you going to throw Simmons on a like sized player and Siakam, or are you going to try to throw him on Lowry? You a lot of times has kind of been the bellwether for Toronto's offense with kind of his off ball movement, his passing, and all the other little things he does. So it's interesting to see how that how that evolves uh, from game one to game four or five, whatever it is, in terms of matchups and how they how the Sixers kind of look to stop the, the three best offensive weapons on the, on the Raptors. Yeah, you know, the Ra- the Raptors are generally pretty easy. Um, sometimes Danny Green will guard the point guard if he's particularly effective or particularly quick, and Kyle can't. But you guys with your 6'10 point guard really make it difficult in terms of trying to find the matchups in this series. And it's probably going to have a lot of cross matchups, which by itself will be interesting and particularly interesting in the transition game to see how these teams kind of match up with each other. Yeah, no, for sure. I, I the the big thing I took away from the last couple uh, Bucks Sixers game was just the the value in making shots, so you avoid those cross matchups with with Giannis in particular. And I think that's going to be the same thing with with the Raptors. You know, if you can if you can get a get a stop and get Simmons barreling uh, barreling down in transition, maybe as Lowry or Green or someone on, as opposed to Kawhi, who can kind of handle his his size and strength to to a better degree than other guys. Um, that's going to help him a lot, and you know the same. Same with goes with goes with Embiid. You know, if we can get a quick seal inside off a miss and and draw a foul or, or 
quick little easy t- uh, turn and shoot over a smaller defender or something uh, on a fast break. It's just going to make a, a world of difference and vice versa. If you got Siakam barreling down against uh, just a smaller guy, uh, it's going to be tough for them to to uh, to stop. But, I mean, it seems easy to say just make shots and uh, things, will, things will go your way. But uh, in, a, in a game like this with a lot of guys can handle the ball or a series like this, a lot of guys can handle the ball and make plays for themselves, it's going to be crucial that you have the best defensive matchup uh, guarding them as often as possible. So how do you think that they'll match up to start? Or Philadelphia, how will they kind of put their defensive matchups to start? Um, in Game 3, the only one where Lowry, Leonard, and Butler all played, um, they did a good job of switching Butler and Simmons both on Lowry. Obviously, Tobias Harris changes, factor, changes that a bit. Um, how do you expect them to try to match up? Yeah, the, the the two that I think are, I I think are fairly set would be Butler will guard Kawhi Law and Embiid will be on Gasol, uh, and then other than that, you got to I don't think there's anything that's going to be super uh, concrete. I would guess they'll put Simmons on Lowry, um, and Harris on Siakam, and then uh, Redick on Green. Um, and Harris was actually pretty good on the ball defensively against the Nets. Obviously, it's a lot different monster going up against guys like Joe Harris or D'Angelo Russell or Spencer Dinwiddie than it is a fringe all-star like uh, Pascal Siakam. I guess Russell isn't all-star this year, but I would still think Siakam's a better player. Um, but yeah, so I think if he can hold his own to a degree, not that he's going to hold Siakam to eight points a game on 27% shooting or something like that, but if he can just hold him a little bit below what he would expect and, and do a good job in transition when, when Siakam's kind of flying down there and, and making all those plays. Um, that'll be huge. But then, like we've seen multiple times with, with a lot of teams, you can if Reddick's on Danny Green, Green's proven capable of kind of taking him into the post and uh, maybe shooting a little fadeaway, a little post hook, find another guy who's open, if help comes. Uh, kind of the same thing the Celtics do when, when the, the Sixers try to hide Marcus Smart or try to hide J.D. Reddick on Marcus Smart. So, Matchups wise, I would go, or what I think is going to happen is they're going to go. Uh, I'm going to go Redick on Lowry, Butler on Kawhi, Embiid on Gasol, Harris on Danny Green, and Ben Simmons on Pascal Siakam. That's just my guess, um, just based on kind of what we've seen in the last series. Um, but like I said, I wouldn't think that's going to be something that sticks. Uh, throughout the series, whether it's four games, six games, seven games, whatever it may be. That surprises me a little bit that they're not putting J.J. Redick on Danny Green. Danny didn't have a great series last, and he's kind of been the place for teams to hide their weaker defender. And I know J.J.'s a better team defender than giving credit for, but you know, individually just doesn't have the tangibles to match up with a lot of guys. You said that they'll bring him into the post, and I agree with that. Danny's been pretty effective kind of posting up smaller guys. But if you're Philadelphia, isn't it kind of a win if you're going to have the offense run through Danny Green post-ups? Yeah, no, yeah, for sure. I mean, that's uh, after game one. I they had after game one of the previous series against the Nets. They had uh, they had Jimmy Butler guarding Damari Carroll, and I I threw out that I thought they should have JJ Redick on Damari Carroll. So if Brooklyn wanted to run their offense through uh, Damari Carroll, it's a win for the for the Sixers. But it's obviously different. Danny Green's a much better player. Uh, I would agree. It's it's a little bit of a win, but. Uh, at the same time, if uh, if Danny Green's capable of, of giving you six seven points in the post, maybe another maybe an assist out of the post, uh, I think that's fine. 
the interesting thing for me will be, uh, I would imagine if, I don't know, it's just, it's just really tough speculation with these matchups. If, if Reddick's on Lowry, I'd imagine they throw Lowry on the ball a lot more just because I think Reddick is generally okay off the ball. He can, he can be kind of physical, uh, top lock some guys, deny off the ball. Once you get him in those kind of one-on-one ISO situations trying to stop triple penetration, uh, his kind of lack of lateral speed or bouncing off the ground is really what hurts him. Um, so, yeah, I mean, the long-winded answer, the, the the way of phrasing them in a short short way, it would just be that it's going to be a lot of tinkering and experimenting and seeing what works best because it is tough when you have a, a pretty glaring negative uh, defensively in, in Redick out there who's so important to what they do as a as an offense, but um, maybe they don't. Maybe we don't see Reddick on Lowry all that often. But I, my gut tells me if, if Lowry is playing off the ball a little more, that we we could see it. But um, he's such a flexible and, and versatile offensive player that he can play him both on and off the ball. So with the 76ers defense, as we kind of just list through the starting five, you have Joe Embiid, who's a defensive player of the year candidate, or at least a fringe one. You have Butler and Simmons, who I think are fringe all defensive candidates, depending on the year and really good defenders, and then, you know, Tobias Harris is not great, but he's not a huge liability, and J.J. Redick can do well enough as long as he doesn't have a tough matchup. But on, you know, their defensive rating on cleaning the glass was 13th in the NBA, and if you kind of look at it month by month, it wasn't something where they improved over the year, and they really were about league average all year. Why was this defense, you know, I mean, I guess in my words, underachieving just a little bit this season? Yeah, no, I think underachieving is totally fair. I think last year they were third in defensive rating, at least on NBA.com. Obviously, cleaning the glass was a little better because it takes out garbage time, but they were still really good. Uh, the big, the two biggest factors I think were where Butler wasn't really an all defensive caliber guy this year. He took a lot of possessions off, especially probably past the new year. Uh, kind of loafed through some screens, uh, gambled a little bit for some steals. Um, just wasn't quite that lockdown point of attack defender. You, you have seen from him, and then uh, just a lot of miscommunication again with with switches. A lot um, they generally wanted to switch one through four, and then let them be drop back most of the time. But um, because so many guys were kind of rotating in and out of that roster, um, just not a lot of continuity there. So there's a lot of blown switches. Um, maybe a guy wanted to stay on. Maybe a guy wanted to fight through a screen to stay attached to his guy, and uh, they both let the screener go, and all of a sudden he had an easy layup or something. Um, and then obviously Embiid missing, I want to say, I think it was 18 games. I mean, he missed 19 last year, so that isn't a huge huge thing. But uh, the fact that Amir Johnson regressed as a backup this year, and they never really had a, a credible guy that could stick in there for 16, 17 minutes hurt him. Um, but yeah, just a lack of coordination with with their switching scheme, uh, which, is high, which was increased this year with Billy Lang. Uh, after Lloyd Pierce took the Hawks job, he used to be kind of the team's defensive coordinator, and they didn't switch quite as much. Um and then Butler just not being kind of the, the all-defensive caliber stopper that you've kind of been accustomed to. Is that something that you expect to be better in this series? You know, miscommunication sometimes are something that happens in the regular season, just, I mean, a little bit due to apathy in the 82 games. Um, from what you've seen in the Brooklyn series, do they seem more crisp on that end, or is it a, still a little of the same syndromes kind of impacting them? Yeah, I mean, I... I would say I felt like I saw fewer uh, defensive breakdowns uh, in the Brooklyn series. Obviously, it's it's tough because Brooklyn's not a great offense. I think they were 19th in offensive rating this year. They're kind of a fun offense. You know, they move the ball a lot, shoot a lot of threes, 
dynamic ball handlers and Russell Dinwiddie and Liver, but uh, when it boiled down to it, they weren't quite the offense that maybe they that you kind of they were perceived as, I guess, because um, they played a fun style. But uh, one of the big things I noticed might have been starting game two, might have been game one as well, is they basically refused to switch Redick at all. You know, there'd be a ball screen and he would you kind of tag the guy by the ball, and if his guy was sitting the screen, he'd go back, run over. Usually, it was Garden Harris. Um, so they really tried to avoid those mismatches with Reddick. It didn't always work. You um, maybe was a little bit slow to get back to his guy and Harris or whoever it was got an open three, but they really tried to cut down on any opportunities where he had a, such a glaring mismatch uh, defensively. Um, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I, I walked away from that series saying, okay, the Sixers' offense, their defense has turned a corner to the point where uh, they're going to be much better equipped to stop a, a really good Toronto offense. Um, but yeah, it was a little crisper. Embiid was a was a monster in the games he played. Obviously, Game 5 was kind of a whatever. They kind of they came out and attacked him from the gun. But Game 4, when he had 31, 17, 6 blocks, whatever, he was just destroying everything inside uh, real quick off the ground, which is impressive to see considering his knee injury. Um, but no, I don't necessarily think they're all of a sudden going to be a team that resembles a top five defense this this next round you mentioned Embiid how healthy is he because you know obviously misses game two but when you're dropping nearly 30 a game he, you can't be too hobbled but I, I don't know like I from watching him and comparing him to what you've seen all year is he 90 percent is that too high yeah I mean I would say 90 percent feels high um and truthfully the Nets are just a really good matchup for him especially with Ed Davis being in and out of the lineup after game one uh, Jared Allen's a pretty good shot blocker, but it, as a defender overall, he's not quite there. He's pretty thin-framed, and so MB was just kind of get whatever he wanted. Um, and then when the Nets went to some small ball lineups with Ronda Heller-Jefferson at the five, which did not work defensively for them. Um, if I mean, I've had to guess, obviously, we don't have any intel um, as outsiders. I would say maybe 70%. Um, he looked a little better as the series went on. There was a couple plays in game two, I want to say, where... You could tell he just did not want to really leave the paint, um, and he looked pretty looked pretty hobbled. Uh, didn't look quite dynamic when he was having to guard some switches against Karis LeBert that come to mind. Um, and obviously he's not a he's not a lockdown defender on the perimeter, but given his size, he generally holds his own pretty well. Um, and I didn't quite see that same kind of lateral movement ability to shift directions that I saw in the regular season when he did switch a little bit. Um, and then obviously Marcus is just a much tougher matchup. Uh, especially in the post, and, and Jared Allen is from Embiid. So I think we'll get a much better sense after the first couple games um, where it's just because the Nets were a really easy matchup for him. And I mean, he had, I think he averaged like, last time I checked, um, before the game, before the game five, his numbers were like, per 36 minutes, he was averaging like 35, 19, 6, and 4 or something. Um, and obviously he's always, he's always been kind of a per minute uh, insane producer, but uh, even for him, that's insane. So, right. I mean, he averaged, oh, my, they even went up after game game four. He averaged 37, 25, and four in per 36 minutes, and he only played like 24 minutes a game. Uh, yeah, 24. So, um, yeah, I, I don't think he's super healthy, but obviously he can still produce at a pretty, uh, you know, obviously was pretty, pretty healthy and, or looked pretty healthy, like you said, but um, I'd be weary to say that he's the fringe MVP candidate that he looked like at the regular season one healthy. Yeah, Jared Allen, someone who is a pretty good help defender in my eyes, but as you mentioned, just doesn't have the bulk to kind of match up with Joel, who's seven three and you know powers guys down in the post. And yeah, um, 
And you mentioned Gasol being a better matchup. I, I kind of went back and just looked at the matchup data from the past two years. And matchup data can be a little bit fluky, so you don't want to draw any too harsh of conclusions from it. But um, 108 possessions, 6 of 18 the one year. 70 possessions, 4 of 11 against Gasol. And, you know, like I said, matchup data can be fluky, but it's something that kind of makes sense. Gasol is for he all the steps he's taken back as a overall defender and certainly as a help defender and on switches he can't or doesn't really switch anymore but he's an excellent post defender and is just a hammer down low as we saw with Nikola Vucevic in the first series um how do you think the 76ers are going to try to exploit Marcus Gasol are they going to try to move and beat a little bit more on the perimeter does that become more difficult with his knee injury how do you see them trying to kind of get Embiid working rather than the traditional post-up that works so well on Allen? Yeah, you know, I think I, I, I'm I'm a little bit weary of them really adjusting just because I think posting them works so well. Um, but I would I would say if there was a way to kind of exploit him, it would be to work Embiid on some of those face-ups more rather than catching his catching the ball with his back to the basket where he's, he's facing kind of mano-a-mano with Marcus Allen because he has such a good mid-range jumper and is pretty quick uh, attacking the basket, trying and, like, be working downhill a little bit. Uh, that would be my kind of suggestion. But, like you said, yeah, Gasol's giving him trouble. I mean, I think he only faced Gasol once this year. Um, back when Gasol was in Memphis and uh, Embiid was 4 or 15. And, I mean, obviously I watched that game, and it wasn't just, like, Embiid was missing shots. He was just struggling to to get really good inside position, and Gasol was really handling his own down low in the post. Um so if I had to throw out a solution, it would be try and work more of those face-ups. Uh, if you can, run some pick-and-rolls. Um, and Bede's a little weird when it comes to being a role man. He hasn't necessarily shown the instincts and understanding all the time because it's not our play they run all that often. Um, they did increase their usage with pick-and-rolls in that first round. Um, so if you can get the floor space and you get Embiid kind of spinning off of those screens and getting downhill um, and then working face-ups, that would be the way I would try to kind of exploit uh, Casal because just throwing the ball into the post against him is just not going to work. Um, as we've seen this year, and uh, when they matched up, and then with Gasol and Vucevic, like you said. Um, yeah, so another tough matchup for Philly, and not to come off as a homer here, but Simmons versus Kawhi, I think, presents another kind of tough wrinkle for the 76ers to deal with. Kawhi has become a little bit of an overrated defender during the regular season over the past two years. I think he increased that intensity a bit, and mostly, I think, He's just an excellent on-ball defender. He gave Simmons pretty big fits in the three games they faced off against each other. Simmons had a combined 25 turnovers in those three games and really, you know, struggled to score. If the Raptors are going to match up Kawhi on Ben Simmons, do you think that's a situation where, again, you're going to try to get creative and look for other ways to score? Or do you just kind of punt that matchup and move on to try to take Jimmy Butler and Kyle Lowry in more favorable matchups across the board? Yeah, no, I, I don't think you can punt that matchup. I mean, Simmons is just so important what they do, especially in transition as a as a play, playmaker. I mean, Butler's a really good – he's a pretty solid complementary playmaker, but the things Simmons can do as a passer, even if he's a little erratic at times, is just super valuable. What they did a lot of in game – I think it was game two um, when Simmons had the triple-double. Um, might have been game three, excuse me, uh, when he had the triple-double. Um, let me double-check here, but – Anyway, what they did in that game, uh, game two, when he had 18, 12, and 10 on 8 of 12 shooting, is they used him a lot uh, as a screener. They kind of embraced him as a big man uh, more, and 
they let Butler handle a lot of the the on ball duties. They run him as a pick and roll. They're running some pick and roll action where Simmons is rolling the basket uh, and, and finishing there. So I think, I mean, Kawhi obviously has great length and great and great size for the most part, but Simmons is still going to have some size advantage if you get him going downhill off the roll and whatnot. Um, and then maybe you force switches. Maybe you run in, if Lowry's on Butler, then you force. Uh, that switch, and then you get uh, Simmons posting up Lowry, and you can kind of use that that right hand hook shot, or uh, kind of just muscle his way in there. Um, so that would be my suggestion: is don't use him on the ball a lot in the half court. Um, let him do his thing in transition. Obviously, he's, I know syner- the synergy individual scoring numbers for Simmons aren't great, but when you factor in passes, they become pretty pretty solid. I want to say 82nd percentile when you include passes. So obviously, let him do his thing in transition, but. Then really just tap into that kind of versatility where you can be a screener and be a roll man and maybe force some switches and get smaller guys on him in the post because post him quiet isn't going to work because I mean that guy's just a, a tank nowadays with his strength in there. Um, so that'd be my suggestion is just try and try and add some wrinkles and and don't be too stubborn with the way you use Simmons. Yeah, that's a, that's a good suggestion because like you said, he's so important to that team and. You know, Ben Simmons is one of the guys that I think is easy for the casual fan to crap on and not understand all the different things he does, um, particularly as a playmaker for that team. Um, So, and one thing we saw from the Raptors in the first series was kind of being happy switching one through four, and you're not going to switch Gasol onto anybody, but one through four, you're big enough kind of to match up with everybody. Pascal's quick enough to match up with the guards. If Toronto tries to do something similar to Philadelphia, what do you think would be kind of one of their counters to match that switching style? What would what would Philly's kind of counter be if they're if, if right? Toronto's yeah, switching? if Toronto's switching one through four and kind of being willing to live with those matchups, how do you think Philly tries to attack that? Yeah, uh, that is it's interesting because that was kind of Philly's offensive identity when Embiid missed a lot of time right after the All Star break because they just. They just hunted a lot of mismatches. They had guys like T.J. McConnell setting ball screens just to Butler or Tobias Harris or someone get a smaller guy on him. Obviously, McConnell's not in the rotation right now uh, when everyone's healthy. But, um, yeah, I think I think the Sixers are comfortable with some of that stuff. They're, let, they're comfortable letting uh, Butler attack a bigger guy or a, sm- a bigger guy off the dribble or a smaller guy in the post. Um, they're comfortable having Simmons post up either as a scorer or as a facilitator. They're they're pretty comfortable letting Tobias work off the dribble, um, and maybe even the post a little bit. He has a tendency to kind of uh, shoot a little some fadeaways over smaller guys, which isn't ideal. But he's got such nice touch as a shooter that that's not terrible. So um, I think the Sixers would be okay with that as long as they're not overly reliant on those those mismatches on switches, um, because they kind of showed a, a willingness to be kind of a mismatch hunting offense uh, when they're not posting up Embiid or. Uh, running pick and rolls for Butler or spot, spot up shots for uh, Redick or Harris, if it may be. So I think they're okay with that. It's just going to be a matter of if their guys can create uh, efficient shots in one-on-one situations, um, because obviously it's not it's not really going to be a lot of slouches uh, that Butler's isoing against or Harris is isoing against. You know, you got Danny Green, Kawhi, Kyle Lowry, Pascal Siakam, Marcus All. I mean, not a lot of great options in that in that starting five to attack defensively. Yeah, um, you talk about Butler isolating and, you know, who could he take advantage of. It's funny that I think probably the guy that he would be the most effective in isolation might be the one who's originally matched up on him. So that's Kyle Lowry. And yeah. it would be interesting to watch. Um, 
So I think most people know the Raptor or the 76ers starting five, and obviously you guys have the four kind of all-star or at least fringe all-star candidates. J.J. Redick rounds out the starting five. Who's currently on the rotation for the 76ers bench? I know McConnell's kind of been in and out, and you guys have a couple different pieces. Who right now or who in the Philadelphia or in the Raptor series would you expect to play? Yeah, so I, I wouldn't expect McConnell. Um, he played a little bit. He played in game one, I believe. Uh, and then he played sparingly in game four when there was that big uh, dust up and Butler was ejected because I just didn't have another guy to handle the ball. I think he played like two or three minutes before, or yeah, just two or three minutes because that game came down to the wire. But um, yeah, so I put the starting five. Um, and then Ennis, James Ennis, is going to have a role. Uh, he's kind of their only relatively consistent uh, wing, wing defender. Uh, and then Mike Scott, obviously, I know he's dealing with a little bit of a heel contusion, uh, so he, he's up in the air, but he, those two are kind of your most reliable, uh, bench players, uh, and Scott's pretty effective if he's hitting shots, if he's not, he can, he can struggle, he's pretty up and down defensively, but, uh, and then I would imagine Bobon gets some run, uh, he had a consistent role in that series, and was pretty good for most of, uh, that series, aside from game four, where he, he struggled big time, uh, but really good in games one through three, just producing offensively and not being targeted that much defensively. Uh, and then maybe a little bit of Jonah Bolden. Uh, I wouldn't I wouldn't bet on it. Brett Brown's been pretty hesitant. He's uh, to play him. He's just prone to a lot of mistakes and uh, doesn't even though he can he, his three point percentage is okay on the year. It's, he's not really a guy who commands a lot of respect. Um, so I'd imagine eight man rotation uh, with Ennis, Mike Scott, and Bobon coming off the bench. Um, but you worry a lot about Bobon if, if Serge Ibaka is their backup, is, is a backup five. And obviously he's pretty comfortable shooting from, from mid range, especially I know his three point shooting kind of tapered off this year for some reason, but can still stretch, stretch you out to beyond the arc. So, um, could see it a little bit more of, uh, Jonah Bolden, but I wouldn't bet on that just because Burt Brown's been really lenient or not lenient, excuse me, uh, reluctant, excuse me, uh, to kind of play a, play a rookie that much. Um, but we could see him more just because he is a little more mobile than, than Bobon, obviously. Uh, I guess a little more is an understatement. But yeah, um, but yeah it's going to be tough for Bobon if he's getting a lot of minutes against Serge Ibaka, who can can run a lot of pick and pops and stretch you out and is is okay at kind of putting the ball on the floor and attacking closeouts. Um, obviously, you prefer that to, to shooting wide open jumpers, but um, he's still can, he's still solid off the dribble. I think as far as I've as far as I've seen. Yeah, you, his three-point shooting dropped off, but his deep mid-range shooting increased. So I think that's probably you know just weird sample data that I want to read too much into. Um, you mentioned Boban, and I'm glad you brought that up because that's kind of the matchup that I think everybody's looking at, and can he stay on the floor? Serge is, you know, I think big enough to handle his own defensively against Boban, at least enough that you feel good about Serge on the other end. Is there anything that Philly will try to do if Boban just can't stay on the floor or is it kind of you know a matchup that you're just going to have to grit your teeth and hope that you can limit the damage as much as possible yeah no I would I would go with Boban early at least I mean he's just he's such a productive player offensively um whether it be on the offensive glass or soft soft touch in the post or making passes from the elbows um you probably have to give him a look I mean but uh I would I would be more flexible with Bolden. Uh, I know he makes a lot of mistakes and he's not great, but he's at least willing and comfortable to defend on the perimeter a little bit. Um, and if, if all it takes to deter a, a wide 
up a mid-range jumper from from Serge Ibaka from 18 feet or whatever is just having a hand in his face. Uh, that's better than Boban camping in the paint. So uh, I would just be really fluid if I were Brett Brown when it comes to my center rotation between those two. Um, obviously, Greg Monroe's in the roster. Um, all I need to do is play on Milwaukee this year to be on one of the, to be on every every uh, Eastern Conference contender, which I thought was hilarious. Um, but I, I wouldn't I wouldn't see him playing a lot. I mean, he got the start in Game Two, I believe, when when Embiid missed time. But um, yeah, I would I would just try and just don't be rigid. I mean, you just cannot have if Boban is, starts the game over three or something and he's not producing offensively, he's just he's just not an NBA player. So. Uh, it's, it's not. It's just not a lot of great great options, is, which is the tough thing when you don't have much depth. Yeah, um, I, as someone who's seen enough Greg Monroe post ups for this season, I understand the hesitancy to put him in, and at least Bobine's giving you something on the offensive end, and maybe he's a hair slower defensively, but I can't imagine the drop off is great enough. Um, is there one area of this matchup that you kind of look at as? if you were the 76ers coaching staff and you're like, this is what we have to watch coming from the Raptors or this is one area where we can't lose. I mean, I, I think it's, I think it's probably, you, you have to have the best player in the series. Uh, I mean, I, I think Embiid was probably a better player this year than Kawhi. I don't necessarily, that means necessarily know if that means he was better. He's better overall, but I think uh, you look at the series Embiid just had and you, you got to think this is our superstar center. He's got to be the best player in this series. Uh, he can't. I mean, they had that one game uh, was it December when he was just awful against the Raptors when Valanciunas kind of punked him. Uh, you can't have that for three of the, the six games or whatever. He's got to be the best player on the floor, uh, or, or maybe not even him. But you have to have the best player on the floor each night um, because the six, because the Raptors have better better depth and better surrounding talent when um, they have probably some of the. Uh, advantages of matchup wise, you just have to have the best player. Um, you're probably gonna have two out of the three best players. You know, I mean, for rank, I mean, some of the kind of ranking the best players in the series have gone around Twitter, and uh, I would probably go Embiid, Kawhi, and then Butler. But Siakam and Lowry have a great case as well for the third best player. And you just, the Sixers just can't have that happen. You have to have uh, the best best two or three players most nights, uh, aside from Kawhi, who I think is just kind of gonna be a scoring machine and and lock in defensively on the ball at least. Um, I mean, you have this great starting five and not a lot of depth behind it. And uh, Obviously, the Raptors have a really good starting five as well, but uh, it's just not quite to the same degree. So you you got to win those minutes. Um, you got to have the best players most of the time when your starters are out there. Um, I think that would be the big thing, which sounds simple, but uh, you have so much high-end talent and not a lot of depth behind it that those guys got to produce, and you can't have a lot of crappy nights from them. No, you're right, yeah. It sounds simple, but that doesn't make it not true and – if you're going to trade your depth for high-end talent, that high-end talent has to obviously perform in the series that it matters most. Um, if I was describing this series, I would say the Raptors are a slightly more talented team with a significant matchup advantage. Would you kind of agree that just stylistically the Raptors, when it kind of comes down to player for player, kind of just match up better for the Sixers, not in regards to overall talent, but just kind of as a matchup perspective? Yeah, no, for sure. I mean, we, we just talked about it, but... Uh... But yeah, I mean that that starting five is a tough uh, a tough matchup for the Sixers because they have two guys who aren't necessarily you're not necessarily confident in just plugging in and, and holding their own defensively in that starting five. Um, and the Raptors have five guys who are all at least above average defensively and in their roles in this series at least. You know, if, if MB was a bigger pick and pop guy, he might have a little bit of hesitancy with Gasol. But um, 
and then all of them can do their own offensively. You know, Danny Green's come a long way offensively. Um, obviously, he's going to do his thing as a spot-up shooter, but we talked about it. he can post you up a little bit. He's he's okay off the dribble. He's not a, he's by no means a, I wouldn't classify him as a good passer, but he's okay if a defense kind of comes at him. He's okay making a simple kick out or or a drop off pass to the big man inside. Um, so yeah, I think that that assessment is totally fair. Um, and it's, it's obviously going to be really tough for the, the six, you know, the Raptors won 58 games this year. And, and that was with Kawhi playing 59 or 58 games, whatever, whatever it was. And Larry being out of the lineup and, and kind of working to get Gasol acclimated. So, um, it's a really, it's a really good team going up against a team with a, a really good starting five. And not that there were six or a good team, but, uh, it's, there's just sig- probably a significant, uh, ability gap there if that makes sense yeah no and you made a great point about Danny Green he's not a good a great passer even a particularly very good one but he's good enough to for what his role is in this offense as a shooter and just to keep the ball moving and a lot of times that's all you need from a player what we get caught up in um is there you talked about the starters is there another area maybe like either defensively on the glass if it comes to points in transition. Is there, I don't want to say like an X factor, sounds kind of reductive, but a bellwether of the series that you're like, you know, I could really, you at least want to win this particular area or an area that you would stress as a Philadelphia coaching member. Yeah, I mean, specifically uh, just as a as a team, uh, if memory serves correct, I know the Sixers are pretty good de- rebounding team. Uh, I'm trying to find the numbers specifically, but... Uh, yeah, they are. They're, I think, I believe fourth, but I could be wrong on that. Yeah, so I think that's going to be a key, you know, if, if Simmons and Embiid, and uh, I mean, obviously those two are very good rebounders. Um, and then Harris had some really good games. Uh, I can't remember which one, but he had, I think he had 16 rebounds in one of the games, so if he's a monster on the glass, and that's an area he improved in this year. Uh, Clippers fan will tell you that for sure, just the growth from last year to this year. Um, and then I saw it, obviously, when you put the last 25 games or whatever. Um, so I think you got to control the glass. And then, um, it, again, it just it just comes down, is Ben Simmons going to be all-star Ben Simmons, or is he going to be more of a guy who averages like 12 and 6 and 5 and uh, shoots like, has like a 53% true shooting? Or is he going to be, like I said, is he going to be the all-star? And I think uh, it seems simple, but... You know, last year he was neutralized so much in that Boston series in the second round because they had the length and the personnel. And uh, obviously, these this Raptors team and last year's Celtics team aren't the same, but they have a lot of really good defenders that uh, could cause uh, Simmons some trouble. And he's coming off a really good series, can but he was coming off a really good series last year when he dominated the Heat for five games. Um, so yeah, I would say controlling the glass, making sure you can kind of push and attack and transition. Uh, get some of those cross matchups that are a little more favorable for you offensively would be important. Um, and then, yeah, just is Ben Simmons going to be Ben Simmons? And if, if not, then they don't have any chance. But if he's if he's averaging 18, 9, 9, whatever it is, then they probably probably, probably have a solid chance in every game, whether that means it's a, it's a tight series based off the wins they get. That's another story. But uh, I think if they get a good Simmons, it's going to be a pretty, pretty solid series each night. Um, before I kind of just ask you for your predictions on this series, uh, just a larger scope view while we have you about the 76ers. If you were, you know, Elton Brandon running this team, would you bring back these four players? I've kind of always been in the camp that I don't know why we're so quick to break up a unit that hasn't played together, but maybe you have seen things as watching them closer that you just don't think it fits as nicely as I do. 
No, no, yeah, I, I would bring him back. I mean, they got so few games together, especially with Embiid being in and out of the lineup. Um, I mean, you have to. I mean, you, you traded you traded Darius Arch, who's a pretty solid young player, um, even if maybe his shooting was a little fluky last year and has some limitations. Then you traded a guy who might have won Defensive Player of the Year if he stayed healthy, Robert Covington. Um, and then you traded a really, really good young shooter and improving defender in Landry Shamit and a, a first-round pick, uh, an unprotected first-round pick, for these two guys, Jimmy Butler and Tobias Harris. So I think you got to bring it back. I mean, there is kind of the, the sunk cost fallacy or sunk cost idea, but um, you just saw so little of this, this team when their net rating was so good. And uh, I know that net rating can be a little fluky, especially in a small sample, but there's just so much talent there. And even if it's not an ideal fit, um, you know, it might be not, maybe not quite as much shooting as you like around Benson and Joel Embiid, but there's just so much talent there that, yeah, I mean, I, I would try and bring both of them back. Um, if you can get either one, I mean, I, I don't think you would be able to get Jimmy Butler or anything less than a max, but if there's a way maybe you can get Tobias Harris a little less than a max, that's great. Um, but if you got to sign him to max, that's not necessarily ideal. I'm I'm not enamored with Harris. I, I think he has some flaws in, as a passer and an actual shot creator, but uh, he can shoot the heck out of the ball, uh, and he's a pretty good, pretty reversible player overall, and so I think you got to at least run it back. Um, and while that may lock you in, I mean, it's it's tough. You, know, you don't just get one more year to see what's going on. You have you basically we're this is our team for five years, and then we gotta nail the draft and nail our our MLE and our BAE and our, our smaller signings. Um, but yeah, I would bring it back, and I, I think it's it's worth it, even if even if they lose in five games or four games or six games, and then they make it one more round. Um, you committed to this, and by no means does it look like it's, it's a total disaster because you just haven't had enough time to nail it down and get get continuity among your five your five starters um, because there's a lot of talent here and it it could be a team that wins the East maybe once or twice in the next five years if assuming Embiid stays healthy and Butler uh, you know doesn't totally collapse after all those Tib miles and he hasn't but he hasn't actually shown that to the, to the large degree yet so um, to answer your question succinctly yeah I would bring it back well and you know I think it's something where it's tough to kind of rebuild around if you let one guy walk it's not as easy as simply you know replacing him with a level contract because you have all those guys and you know the way the NBA salary cap is set up it would be kind of hard to replace the asset as it walks and the other thing is just if the depth is a problem with this team then that's something that can be fixed relatively easy easily and with the current assets the 76ers still have so I'm with you I don't understand the kind of propensity to break up this team before it really has its sea legs under it. Um, so finally, I'll just ask you, uh, do you have a prediction for this series? And rather than kind of predicting the number of games, I guess, what do you think is the percentage chance of each team pulling the series out? Yeah, you know, uh, for a while in the regular season when Embiid was healthy and that lineup was clicking and they beat the Bucks and they beat the Celtics and, and whatnot, I felt pretty good. I I preferred the Sixers to the Raptors. Just, I didn't it was one of those things where I didn't have a great reason why. Maybe I wasn't watching enough the Raptors, and, but uh, with Embiid's health in the air, um, I've kind of I've tempered that. Um, I think the Raptors are deservedly the overwhelmingly favorites in this series. Um, they just have a lot of the advantages in the, in the matchups, even the starting five, where the Sixers are supposed to have the edge, as we talked about. So I would say probably 75-25 favor of Toronto. Um that's that's how I would have it, but I think it could be one of those things where you know a lot of the games are close, and uh, you know just just some of the marginal advantages the, the Raptors have proved to be the 
the uh, ultimate uh, kind of edge, I guess. Yeah, I think it's something where you could either, one, like you said, see a lot of close games that are swung either way, or two, see adjustments made from game to game that really drastically swing the outcome and kind of see how the teams counter each other. Because, you know, like we've talked about, there's so many interesting matchups on this with this team, particularly the 76ers and the way they're built. So it will be something that will be fun to watch throughout. Um, Jackson, thank you so much for coming on, man. I really appreciate it. Yeah, no, thanks for having me. Hopefully it's a fun series um obviously my my allegiance stands with neither team but uh i think it'd be awesome to see the kind of maybe the raptors uh exercise from the playoff demons and uh that could be a heck of a series bucks raptors assuming both of the higher seeds win but uh either way it's gonna be really fun hopefully and uh i look forward to to talking about it on twitter reading your stuff or whatever but uh, yeah i appreciate you having me on thanks man Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Remember to use code CHAMPION and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet, place your money line, prop, or parlay bets with the king of sportsbooks today. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotion, promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.